At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Hertz back from bankruptcy, a billion dollar relisting, a deal with Tesla, maybe interim CEO Mark Fields. This is about, you know, us positioning ourselves to lead and be a central player and role and component of the modern mobility ecosystem. And we are uniquely positioned to do that. And cash in, fraud out? ATMs swapping cash for cryptocurrency are popping up all over the country. So why are they on the FBI's radar? CNBC's Eamon Jaffers investigates. Many companies allowed customers to buy up to $900 worth of cryptocurrency with only a cell phone number or no information at all. Those stories and more like a surprising hack at Robinhood. I think the bigger news is they got through to a customer service operator. Right. And a new era for GE, the original Dow component founded by Thomas Edison, splitting into pieces. Whoa. It's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Hertz. We're going to have oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, there. Did you know? I guess I knew. Hertz is yellow. It's a yellow know. thing. It's yeah. a, so out in They're the lobby, off. I was walking along and I, I, I passed a mirror and I, I was like <laughs> jaundiced. I thought I was like jaundiced. Did it blind like, you, the bright yellow? Oh, it's like, oh, my God, my liver has finally. Wow. It's finally given up. Um, after after 50 years. It of, is an you know, eye-catching what? color. You got <laughs> Herbie out there. There's a lot of, of yellow around, but it's cool. Yeah. Look forward to that. Uh, look forward to Mark Fields. We'll have uh, that interview a little bit later. I think the, Mark Fields oh, the is three gentlemen are, too. Yeah. are actually here. Yeah. Let's get to this Robin Hood story. Uh, shares of Robin Hood uh, are under pressure. The company, I'm thinking about what I said, that my liver finally just said, okay, enough. Um, <laughs> I, we, I can't do no anything. Yeah, that unfortunately that that is not something to joke about because when that happens, it's just you know you re- you don't realize how much you need that thing until it doesn't work. I think the company disclosed that an intruder gained access to the information of millions of users. Robinhood says the breach took place Wednesday evening and has since been contained. Uh, email addresses for about five million users were exposed, as well as the full names of a different group of about 2 million users, and the intruder accessed more extensive personal information for a group of more than 300 users, but no social security numbers or bank information was exposed, according to the company. And Robinhood says no customers experienced uh, any financial losses. The intruder gained... Yeah, right. We've got that that going for us, which is nice. The intruder gained access to Robinhood's systems by impersonating an authorized party uh, to a customer support employee on the phone. And then a ransom payment was demanded uh, after that hack was contained. When I saw this, I thought, wait a second. I thought when Robinhood had all their problems, what was it, a year or so ago, you know, because they weren't great risk managers, maybe that was a year and a half ago, they weren't great risk managers. We were saying at the time, they're great tech managers. That's what they <laughs> yeah, know. Right. Like, these are fantastic tech managers. So they're thought. not risk managers. But 
how are they the ones who are getting hacked into with something like this, especially with a, you know, like a crazy backdoor, like you call a customer service it operator is- and... Is anybody hackable, I guess? I, I, I think the that, bigger news is they got through to a customer service operator. Right. Yeah, right, right. That, I, I can tell you a couple of things I deal with where that's an impossibility. Um, I won't go into any names, but um, I mean, Coinbase, I think it's really difficult. Oh, I just mentioned. I wasn't going to mention anything. DraftKings, I don't know. Uh, I, the, but it, it, all these fast-growing entities, uh, customer service might not. It, it's the email thing. You got to send an email. I think I'm never going to hear back. I think it goes into cyberspace, doesn't it? And it, it just sits there. Somewhere. I called Nespresso the other day. There's Nespresso. A number, Nespresso. There's a number you can call because they discontinued my uh, what happened? My decaf. You know, like the decaf that I the Did whole they reason that I live. Yeah, the, I got somebody who answered, and then it sounded like a recording and said, "We can't hear you. We can't hear you." You know, it kept going on and on. And I was like, "That's a pretty good scam." You know, like just pretend you can't hear me. Um, they yeah. just have the recording running on it, but <laughs> it makes you feel like you're talking to somebody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all my spam calls, I, they're all, you know, I, it takes me about, you know, a couple of minutes I'm talking to a recording and then I finally realize, hey, I say something they're not expecting and then they answer with it. You've been recording all along. The Federal Reserve is warning that market volatility relating to meme stocks could pose a risk to the U.S. financial system. As part of its semi-annual report on financial stability, the central bank says that new trading platforms, flashy graphics, zero commission trades and fractional share buying are all contributing to the growth of a new generation of retail investors. And the sheer size of the cohort makes it important for regulators to watch. From the report, they say... Social media can contribute to an echo chamber in which retail investors find themselves communicating most frequently with others with similar interests and views, thereby thereby enforcing their views, even if these views are speculative or biased. Yeah, no kidding. The Fed also adding that it is also watching China's real estate sector and and the risk of spillover into the United States. Yeah, that SoftBank story is interesting. Billion dollars. I mean, but Masa-san said it's it's actually good since we're less under the... Uh, the control of China, but I don't see how $54 billion loss in value in three months can really, I guess you got to put the best face on it. Here's what I was talking about. Federal Reserve Governor Randall Quarles announcing plans to resign his position around the end of the year, now giving President Biden as many as four seats to fill on the central bank's seven-member board. Quarles was appointed in October 2017 by Trump, by President Trump, uh, former President Trump. People get mad when I say president. I don't know why. Yeah, he would have, we say President Clinton still, right? Yeah. He would have been eligible to remain, uh, President Obama, to remain a governor until 2032, but his term as vice chair lapsed last month, and he had made enough money in his trading account to where he, he can... Re- <laughs> That's a joke. That's yeah. a that, that bad joke, too. Shouldn't get around about that. Uh, president Biden inherited one uh, Fed board vacancy. There could be at least one more after Clarida. Um, vice Chair Richard Clarida's term expires in January. And now we're going to find out whether Jay Powell, president's close to announcing whether he's going to offer a second term to Fed to, to uh, Chair Powell. And Becky, what, what the journal conjectures is that since Powell's a Republican and Quarles was a Republican, with Quarles gone, uh, that will allow the president theoretically to keep Powell and still nominate enough uh, to balance it out for progressives. Progressives want an equal amount of, of Democrats, I guess, and Republicans. Depends on which you're talking to. Right. But you could uh, with that additional opening, it frees up uh, President Biden, supposedly, according to them, to to uh, give Jay Powell a second term without really 
getting the ire of Elizabeth Warren and, well, and that, some of the other That's where some of the questions come. I mean, Elizabeth Warren has made it very obvious that she does not think yeah. um, Powell should be renominated. A lot of other people have rushed to Powell's to support. He was pretty instrumental in everything that went down with the pandemic and making sure he stepped in very quickly with things. Right. There have also been reports that Leo Brannard has been uh, brought to the White House and vetted for the job of either vice chair or right. chair. Um, and that's where the questions kind of come down. But it, it's getting close. It's already November. Um, and February is when this has to be done. So yep. we should we have an hear, soon. We may hear sooner than, rather than later yeah. on Jay Powell. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. I think so, too. I, I think so, too. I think that the market odds are still kind of having that in, in betting there. And I think it would probably make the market feel comfortable. But uh, you never know what's going to happen with these things. We'll see. Breaking news on GE. Whoa, David Faber. Uh, thank God we switched to the savings day. He's got that extra hour on Saturday. He's up. Joins us now on the Squawk Newsline. David. <laughs> Joe, uh, something you and I have probably uh, been uh, expecting for quite some time, although it's been uh, years in the making uh, and not a, not a particularly uplifting story. But GE this morning, uh, right now, actually, uh, announcing its plans to form three public companies. Whoa. It will be splitting up, uh, becoming pure plays in uh, aviation, healthcare, uh, and energy. As I said, this uh, this news will be announced uh, at this moment. I did have a chance to talk to Larry Culp, the company's CEO. They're going to separate healthcare first in early 2023 through a tax-free a tax-free spinoff. There is an intention to retain 19.9% of that business, at least initially, at at GE. Uh, then they expect in 24, early 24, to uh, spend renewable energy and power. Uh, and what will be left of GE is aviation. Um, and uh, Larry Culp will run uh, that company or continue to run aviation, which will also have some of those assorted liabilities that we've gotten to know so well, including, of course, long-term care. But, Joe, perhaps nothing, not a surprise, and yet when you hear it, still something of a surprise. Uh, the company we long worked for, of course, uh, once one of the largest market cap companies in the world, um, now will be split into its component parts. Well, it's it's hard, to, yeah, hard to hard to argue with the rationale. David makes makes perfect sense, uh, and the model that we knew so well, where GE Capital uh, sort of funded the and was synergistic with all the other manufacturing pieces and. Uh, you remember how they, they had a, it was a pretty good racket there for a while. Uh, and, you know, people would say that, you know, Welch always, that the late, great Jack Welch always had a couple of pennies of operating earnings in, in the drawer to use to beat expectations. When it was the most valuable company, David, wasn't it at about 50 times earnings? It was crazy, uh, whatever was happening when it, when it was worth $600 billion. But it's a little bittersweet, right? Thomas Edison, Dow component, biggest market cap round now sort of going the way of ITT or Rand Ariscog or uh, all those other deconglomerizations, de whatever you want to call it. It is, yeah. The GE name, Becky's going to continue with aviation. Uh, mm. And as I said, Culp will continue to lead aviation. So that will be what is left. Um, John Flattery will be sort of running it day to day, but he will continue, that is Culp, to be chairman and CEO of GE, which will contain aviation. And it's my understanding, and I think it's made fairly clear that the name, at least as of now, is not going to change. Uh, but the other two companies obviously may have a very different future. I'm not certain about what the names are going to be. And obviously, as you know, Becky, as well, some of the key considerations are capital allocation, how much debt you 
uh, jettison with uh, the respective companies that are spun off as well. Is all the legal overhang gone now at this point with some of the, those operations, David? I think I think largely it is, and capital is largely you know in the in the rearview mirror as well. Okay, Faber. Um, all right. Joining us right now for more on this is Nicholas Heyman. He's the co-group head of global industrial infrastructure at William & Blair Company. And, and Nick, the plan is to spin off into GE Aviation, GE Healthcare, and the combined GE Renewable Energy, GE Power, and GE Digital Businesses. This will happen over the next couple of years. First, they'll spin off Healthcare in 2023, then the Energy and Power Company in early 2024. Both of those are expected to be tax-free uh, spinoffs for this. What, what do you think? Well, I think there's a couple of messages here. First, all of uh, G's businesses are back. There's been a lot of question about uh, the extent to which aviation was going to be able to recover to its 2019 you know, performance level. And, um, you know, I think that clearly they're delevered uh, with the uh, sale of uh, GCAS, the aircraft leasing to Aircap. They're going to pay down another 24 or so billion, 25 billion of debt, and you'll end up with uh, a leverage ratio of 2.5. So basically, all the three boats can float independently, but in turn, uh, I think it signals the end of the conglomerate holding company thesis, that there's better valuation for each of the companies, which are you know, strong leaders in each of their markets. And, and you agree with that thesis? I mean, the market obviously does this morning. Yeah, I mean, I kind of saw something like this coming, right? They hired a woman into uh, work in uh, investor relations who had a healthcare background and was really strong in that area. And that signaled to me that that probably was, you know, uh, the first to, to be peeled out. And I thought that perhaps you would go forward with the, the energy, you know, the power and, and the aviation together. But Larry Fields will get better valuations, you know, because all of them are strong leaders in their fields by really separating discreetly those three businesses. And I think that's pretty fair. You've got a strong recovery at the renewable business, particularly as offshore builds out this decade. And um, the power business is, is doing very well, and they're well on track to convert to a green hydrogen renewable environment. So, you know, there's a pretty good growth outlook for these businesses, ironically. I just want to ask, how, how long have you been covering GE? Because I think I've been talking to you about this company for more than 20 years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, since 83. So you've been following GE since 1983, what have you seen over the arc of that time, and you know how how shocked and surprised well, I got, have you been? I got assigned my first job because I worked at GE, right? And there was this crazy guy, Jack Welsh, who was going to turn the place upside down. And you know, a lot of people didn't know if the guy had lost his marbles as the youngest, you know, at forty-five to, to run this company, particularly since he really was very keen to to basically get out of everything that they weren't already a leader in. And this concept was pretty radical. He introduced the concept of, you know, not waiting to, to take a loss when you closed the business, but actually restructuring it, uh, you know, before that occurred. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, a, a an interesting, you know, company to certainly follow. And obviously the transition from Jack to, uh, to, to, to Jeff and, you know, um, on to John briefly and then to Larry. And, you know, Larry's kind of, um, reshaped, you know, not just GE to, to work, but, you know, to reshape it in the format that he really believes can generate the most value. And, 
he's done a good job. I mean, there's been questions, you know, but those questions have been all diminished by now. And so now you're really setting up to grow as opposed to setting up to survive. Nick, thank you. It's great talking to you this morning. Uh, your analysis of the end of the conglomerate holding company, I think, is uh, a pretty obvious one this morning. But hearing that history is uh, something that takes us all back. Coming up, Hertz back in the headlines, a billion dollar relisting on the Nasdaq and the men hoping to drive it from meme stock to mobility mainstay. Interim CEO Mark Fields. We see four key trends. It's about electrification shared mobility, connected cars, and autonomy. And the state of a certain high-profile deal is Hertz buying a fleet of Teslas. <laughs> I'd hate to bore everybody with the nuances of how these mechanics no, work. We don't need um, to know the nuances. Is there a deal for 100000 and are you guys paying full price? Squawk Pod will be right back. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. And here's Becky Quick with a story about pandemic consumers, meme stocks, and one brand's second chance. It's been a wild 18 months for car rental giant Hertz. COVID hit the company hard, pushing it into Chapter 11 bankruptcy back in May of 2020. But over the next year, Hertz reorganized, built a new board of directors and named an interim CEO, leading us all the way to what you might call a relisting today on the NASDAQ. Hertz announcing a public offering of 44.5 million shares of its stock at $29 a piece. The company won't receive any proceeds from this share sale. It's coming from existing backers. Hertz is going to be trading on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol HTZ. And joining us right now to talk more about it is Mark Fields. He's the interim CEO of Hertz and the former CEO of Ford. Greg O'Hara is the founder and senior managing director of Ceteris Management, also a Hertz board member. And Tom Wagner is vice chair and co-founder of Knighthead Capital Management, also a Hertz board member as well. We should point out that Ceteris and Knighthead Capital, along with Apollo, own about 42 percent of Hertz. And, and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. It's good to see you all. Greg, why don't we just start with you, just in terms of what attracted you to Hertz when you were looking at what was happening during the pandemic, what was happening with travel, and uh, what made you think that this was actually going to be a good investment? Because there were some pretty dark days. There were some dark days. We had a, uh, a theory about what was going on in the, in the travel industry, and we have all kinds of different data sources that indicated that Americans were going to stay home, uh, that Americans were going to, if they did vacation, they'd vacation domestically, and that would indicate that they would rent cars when they, when they traveled. 
we had good good data from people searching online and offline that indicated that there would be a lot of uh, demand for rental cars. And then we came across the small statistic that everyone's now familiar with, which said that uh, there would also be a chip shortage that would not enable the rental car companies to refleet. And so the combination of a higher demand for, for inventory and lower supply led us to believe that this company would have the pricing power you see today. Tom, it's not just those things that kind of happened along the way. You also had the situation where you had this huge fleet of cars um, that you had to get rid of and sell some of those cars um, that was able to actually be beneficial because you were selling used cars at a time when used cars prices were really skyrocketing as consumers were looking for cars. And then that left you with a smaller fleet, uh, not only you, other car companies, too, so that when travel did come back, some of the prices for those were, were quite a bit higher. This has been a long road coming out of bankruptcy. Yeah, I think the, there was a number of events, as Greg mentioned, that led to a fortuitous environment. But that led to our over-earning for a period of time and building up a substantial cash balance that has allowed us to pursue uh, new avenues and lines of business. We're trying to expand uh, into new areas and offerings where we can access more customers and grow beyond the traditional business that Hertz has so effectively provided over the course of the last 103 years. And I think it's those new areas that have uh, us excited, and we hope other investors as well. Um, we think there's a, it's a very interesting time in the auto rental industry, and our objective is to be very forward-looking in how we help guide the company. Mark, let's jump off on that. It has been an interesting time watching what's happened in the market, watching what's happened in other places. Um, Hertz was a meme stock, one of the original meme stocks that people went through. Are you still going to be a meme stock? Do you want to be a meme stock at this point? Well, I can never predict what the market is going to do. All we are focused on is running a terrific company. Uh, as uh, Tom and Greg just mentioned, we're performing. Very proud of the team. And importantly, this is not only about running an excellent rent-a-car company. We're going to stay very focused on that. But this is also about a transformation of Hertz. And this is about you know us positioning ourselves to lead uh, and be a central player and role and component of the modern uh, mobility ecosystem. And we are uniquely positioned to do that. And I think this gives us a lot of optionality as a company going forward. And we're going to stay very focused on delivering results. And we'll let the market speak from there. We watched the stock price, and it, it really took off over the last month, especially as some of those announcements of partnerships that you all were dealing with, with Carvana, with Uber, and I think especially Tesla. That really kind of excited the market, the idea that you'd be taking delivery of 100,000 Teslas, that, that uh, people would be able to come and rent those cars. But it, it, that announcement in itself got kicked around a little bit last week when Elon Musk said that the deal hadn't been signed you all came back and said that deliveries had already started. What, what happened? Where do things stand? Well, we're very excited to have electric vehicles in our fleet. We're thrilled to have vehicles where demand exceeds supply. And, you know, we'll work with Tesla and other OEMs to bring EVs into the fleet in a way that works for the OEMs and a way that works for Hertz. What's very important to us is ensuring that the customer experience with EVs is absolutely pristine. Uh, we're working on ways to make it a touchless rental experience. We're working to help guide the consumer as they're traveling the electric vehicle once they've rented it. All of these things are substantial transformations of a business that has really done things exactly the same way for the last number of decades. And changing that customer experience will help prepare the industry for what's to come down the road. I think that electrification and charging infrastructure is just a first step. 
And, you know, there'll be a lot more that we have to say in the future as to our plans, but we're thrilled to kick things off with products that we know consumers love and, and really want to try. But, Tom, what, what is the situation with Tesla? Do you have a, a firm commitment for 100000 and are you all paying list price for it? We have uh, placed an order with Tesla, and just like all of our OEM relationships, Becky, you know, once we get into the relationship, we work collaboratively with our partners to ensure that the delivery uh, mechanisms work for all parties. And it's really important on our end to make sure that we're prepared. We've got to make sure we have the charging infrastructure in place. We've got to make sure the customers are educated, our workforce is educated. And so all of those things play together to ensure that we're able to deliver that pristine rental experience that I referenced earlier. Tom, I'm, I'm sorry to keep harping on this. I just think it's a big question that the market is wondering because Elon Musk tweeted that the, you know, it was an assigned agreement and that you all would be paying full freight and that they don't need the extra demand because there's so much demand there. Where, where do things stand with that? Can you just tell us what, what you know at this point? Sure. I mean, there's, there's no question that demand exceeds supply at Tesla. There's an enormous built-up demand um, from us, from, from consumers in general, for the products there. And I think, you know, as I said, um, it's really about working to ensure that we bring the vehicles into the fleet in a timeline that's consistent with what all parties want. There's no question, Becky, that we could use a substantial number of vehicles. There's no question that Tesla can sell a substantial number of vehicles. Um, and so I think the, the key is working collaboratively to ensure that that rollout is smooth and that things operate to the benefit of the end consumer. Is it a signed contract or it's, it's, it's kind of a work in progress? No, I think that the nuance that you're speaking to there speaks to how the rental car purchase agreements work, which would take us a couple of hours to discuss in full. So <laughs> I'd hate to bore everybody with the nuances of how these mechanics no, work. We don't need um, to know the nuances. Is there a deal for 100000 and are you guys paying full, full price? We're, we're, you know, you've seen the, the public commentary as it relates to the price that we'll pay. Um, I think that one thing that's really important on EVs is that, you know, EVs have a substantial amount of demand generally. And so the idea of uh, purchasing vehicles at substantial discounts, which had been a, a key component of how rental car companies had operated in the past, probably doesn't work as it relates to EVs. Um, the specifics of, of deals with any OEM is not something that we ever disclose publicly. And so, um, you know, we, we believe in paying a price that works for the OEM, works for our partners, and creating a real partnership. And so, you know, there's no question that, that um, you know, we want that, that collaboration to continue going forward. And maybe Twitter isn't the place to negotiate it? Uh, that's, that's, you know, I don't even know if I have a Twitter account, so I'm definitely the wrong person to ask in that regard. Um, I give ask my kids the question as to whether or not that's the right place to go for, for anything of, of any consequence. But, you know, I think that for us on a, on a really serious note, we're, we're thrilled to develop partnerships with OEMs to bring EVs into our fleet. This is about building an ecosystem to move electrification forward, not simply as it relates to having cars that are available to rent to consumers, but also other channels, like the Uber channel that we've developed, uh, the charging infrastructure that's so critically important. You know, being able to electrify, provide electrification and charging infrastructure at airports is something that we're working very, very hard on, and I think will really change the consumer experience, hopefully not just for our consumers, but for for customers of the OEMs that own these vehicles as well. Hey, Mark, let's talk about what's happening in the auto industry right now, because there are some incredible transformative changes that have been taking place. We've already this morning talked about Luminar and the deal with NVIDIA. Watch Luminar, so shares soaring on this. And then we've been talking about Rivian, too, and what looks like it will be a $65 billion market cap for a company that doesn't have any sales yet, but has some pretty big backers with both Ford and Amazon. How do you kind of get your arms around what's happening? How quickly are things changing? 
Well, things are, are changing quickly. I think from our standpoint, it hurts. You know, when you develop a strategy, that strategy has to be informed by key trends. And, you know, as we look at the world and what's going to shape mobility, we see four key trends. It's about electrification, shared mobility, connected cars, and autonomy. And I think when you look at our strategy, it hurts and how we're transforming our, our business and the things that we do better than anybody else around managing and operating large fleet scale uh, for, for vehicles. I think we're positioning ourselves for wherever mobility 2.0 goes. And you're, you, know, you just mentioned a couple of examples there with some of the new electrification players. We are going to be very well positioned to partner with any and all of these players to help them enable that going forward. Even when you think down towards autonomy, our first mover uh, advantage in terms of learning how to manage these large electrified fleets, I think that's going to serve us very well going forward versus uh, others in the industry. And we want to partner with everybody, as Tom mentioned, and help them as we go to sustainable transportation, transportation, not just transportation. Mark, how, how is the experience going to look different uh, for a Hertz consumer, somebody walking up to rent a car? Well, we've said very clearly what we want to do is lead what we call the digital-first experience. So we're making some very targeted investments to make sure that when a consumer, uh, any time they, they interact with our brand, uh, that they'll have a positive experience. And it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, Becky. You know, this industry is a terrific industry, but it, you know, it hasn't changed much over the last 50 years in terms of how you actually you know, rent the vehicle, et cetera. And as a company, we're asking ourselves not the question why. We're asking ourselves the question why not. And I think you're going to continue to see a lot of innovation from Hertz because, interestingly, innovation is in the DNA of Hertz, going all the way back to when Hertz was the first to have a coast-to-coast -coast network, first to have airport locations, first to have our gold service. So you're going to see us amp that up a lot over the next months and years ahead. Tom and Greg, let me ask you both just how long you plan to be investors in the stock, because part of this, the reason for this pricing today for this IPO, this re-IPO, is to pay out some of your other partners, Cougar Capital and Oak Tree, who were investors along the way. How long will you all be here? Is this something where you'd sell out to retail investors who want to buy, or you plan on being here for a long time? Well, we have grand plans for Hertz. Um, this is a substantial investment for both of our organizations. The partnership happens to work exceptionally well. Um, Sertaris brings uh, to bear a very unique data set that we believe will substantially improve the way that we run the business. And so, you know, many of the things that we are uh, embarking to, to complete as it relates to the transformation of Hertz are in the very early stages. So th this, today's event, was about creating a float for the stock so that there would be shares available to trade so we could actually have a security that trades with some liquidity on the marketplace and the largest shareholders are willing to give up you know a percentage of their ownership to allow that to take place so i think you know we're looking at this as the first step but greg i think you know this is something we're quite excited about yeah we've generally owned a co owned companies for a long time i think our tenor in some of our companies is over 10 years so we we don't have any plans to sell we don't have any plans to not sell um, i think what we want to do is work with mark and the rest of the hertz team to make this as good an investment as as we can have in the travel industry for instance we don't get a lot of opportunities to electrify so our investors both tom's investors my investors and our joint investor investors are concerned with you know being environmentally responsible and and, and socially conscious and as we found out when we were talking to investors about this deal there really isn't very much out there to buy 
that makes actual cash, um, that where you can also do things that are environmentally responsible. A lot of them are growth plays. You mentioned Rivian um, is pre-revenue, and it's got great backers. It's a great company. Don't get me wrong, but this is something that you can invest in at relatively attractive terms in the in the environmentally um, responsible space, and you can get invested in a large way. And I think you're going to find Mark and the rest of the team are very committed to making this. A, uh, this an EV play. Mark, Mark outlined the strategy really, really well this morning. And I think you're going to find that <clears throat> as our investors and ourselves uh, get more and more comfortable with Hertz, this will become a longer and longer term play for us. Greg, you said you don't have any plans to sell. You don't have any plans not to sell. Does that mean it depends on price or is there some other metric that you're watching? No, we're not. We're, we're long term holders of, 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 of assets in, in general. And uh, what I was trying to do is maybe be a little more cute than I should have been, which means, you know, we really haven't focused on liquidity. We're really focused on the day-to-day transformation of the company. And I think as you see that company transform over time, you'll see us, um, you'll see us get more comfortable. Maybe we're buyers. Who knows? You know, this is a cultural pivot for us in terms of being an environmentally first company. Now, I won't go as far as to say we're going to change our corporate colors from yellow to green, but I think you get Greg's and my point. Definitely. Mark, Greg, Tom, want to thank you all for joining us on this big day. Uh, We appreciate your time and hope to see you again soon. Thank you. We appreciate it. Next on Squawk Pod, cash for crypto. CNBC's Eamon Javers reports on who's bringing Bitcoin to the masses and why crypto ATMs are on law enforcement's radar. He's a guy who really views cryptocurrency as sort of a human right. He feels like just about everybody should be able to have access to it. The bar to access should be extremely low. The argument on the flip side of that, you're inviting a lot of fraud. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Uptrack, stand by Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Here's Joe. The FBI warning about fraudulent schemes targeting cryptocurrency ATMs with criminals uh, directing victims to use the ATMs and send funds that are then used for illegal activity. The ATMs are found around the country and accept cash in exchange for Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And for months, CNBC has been investigating this new kind of ATM. And here's Eamon Javers with Cash In, Fraud Out. 
Welcome all of you to the city of Miami, to Bitcoin 2021. Here at the country's largest Bitcoin conference in Miami, nearly everyone is talking about cashing in on the crypto craze. We're the first Bitcoin ATM company to try to push some education. You can do that in one transaction. You can utilize any wallet you'd like to use to store your cryptocurrency. And crypto ATM companies who make their money by charging a premium on each transaction are a growing part of the industry. With more than 26,000 kiosks around the country, these machines are a huge convenience. And also, they can be a huge target for fraud. How easy is it for criminals to exploit these machines? Seems like it's very simple. Lisa Cellino is counsel for the New Jersey State Commission of Investigation, which looked into Bitcoin ATMs, finding many operating with virtually no oversight, even though their owners must register with the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. There's no ID collected. There's no photo taken. There's no address. And that opens the doors for criminals? Yes. And what do they do with it? I mean, anything from money laundering dark web, fraud, scams. The New Jersey Commission's report discovered more than $70 million deposited for cryptocurrency purchases between 2015 and 2020. Many companies allowed customers to buy up to $900 worth of cryptocurrency with only a cell phone number or no information at all. Is that a bad idea? Based on what we found, Yes, because it could be any name and your cell phone number could come back to anybody. Which is handy for drug traffickers and money launderers, who the DEA says are using the machines to aid in the movement of illicit bulk currency. We wanted to see how easy it was to buy Bitcoin with just a phone number. So a CNBC producer tested it out at this machine in a New Jersey convenience store. After getting this text warning about crypto scams, it only took a few minutes to complete the transaction. A spokesperson for the companies that run the ATM said they take knowing customers' identities very seriously and will only allow transactions with just a cell phone number if they can verify who is buying crypto. If not, the machine will ask for an ID. It's somewhat of the Wild West. Mark Grenz, co-founder and president of Digital Mint, a Chicago-based company, is trying to clean up the crypto ATM industry. These customers would not believe that they want to be victims and they would state, I'm going to go to other Bitcoin ATM companies who never ask me any questions and let me purchase how much of I want. Digital Mint recently launched a cryptocurrency compliance cooperative to develop universal compliance standards. One study found nearly 75% of all the illicit funds leaving ATMs wound up at fraud shops, which are sites on the dark web that sell stolen credit card information. To buy crypto, Digital Mint requires customers to provide a government-issued ID that it verifies, plus a phone number. One of Digital Mint's competitors is CoinFlip, also based in Chicago. The company allows someone to purchase up to $900 in crypto with just a name and a phone number. Higher amounts require more identification. Is that safe? It's 100% safe. and it's Why? Even if someone shows an ID, if you're sending Bitcoin to someone you don't know, you have the same problem. CoinFlip wants to offer its services to a wide range of customers. We want everyone to be able to buy $50, $100, $200 of Bitcoin, regardless of their immigration status and regardless if they have an ID. Everyone who wants access to Bitcoin deserves to have access to it. New Jersey now has pending legislation that would require all crypto ATM operators to get a license in the state. And around the country, regulation varies widely, with some states requiring a license, while others have no oversight of this fast-growing industry, guys. Eamon, the justification for companies that allow up to $900 to be sent 
uh, with just a cell phone number. How, why do that? What's the justification for that? Well, you heard Ben, the CEO of CoinFlip, in the piece right there. He's talking about undocumented immigrants. You know, when I talked to him in Chicago, it was fascinating because he's a guy who really views cryptocurrency as sort of a human right. He feels like just about everybody should be able to have access to it. The bar to access should be extremely low. Uh, and he says a lot of people who are unbanked don't have government IDs that are valid. He wants uh, immigrants and, and others who are unbanked now to be able to use his system to get access to cryptocurrency, to send payments to their family, to anybody they want. Now, the, the argument on the flip side of that is that if you lower all those security standards to that level, you're inviting a lot of fraud. Okay. Uh, yep. Got it. Thanks, Eamon. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for being here. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC and have a great day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.